Bibles tonight. Let's go to the book of Romans tonight. And as I mentioned this morning, this is a, an introduction tonight to a study of the book of Romans. And uh, I will tell you that as we get into this, and we're going to start it uh, tonight, and then we will, of uh, course, on Sunday evenings, uh, go through the book of Romans. Uh, tonight's outline, uh, does, uh, does everybody have a copy of the outline tonight? Anybody does not have a copy? And uh, somebody want to keep your hand up if you do not have a copy. Uh, the reason I'm saying this tonight, and, and I just try to uh, be an equipping pastor, but I also uh, want to make sure that you follow along tonight. Tonight will be a little bit more of um, a little bit more of an introduction as far as a little bit more teaching tonight than preaching. But here's what I want to say to you is uh, take notes tonight because what you have in your hand, I'd like for you to try to keep that in your Bible uh, so that when we get into uh, Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, all the way to Romans chapter number 16, and I don't know how long it'll take us. We may do a, a chapter a, a, a Sunday night. I don't know exactly how the Lord will lead me. But this outline that you have tonight will prove to be something that you can go back to and you can reacquaint yourself where we are as we're going through the book of Romans. So it may be something that'll be a useful tool in the days ahead. And so hopefully you'll understand that. You'll see it tonight as we get into this. Now I've entitled this series, Right Standing with God. I think we need to understand in our lives that uh, what the Lord has done for us but what our standing is with God. And I talked a little bit about that this morning as we were in Romans chapter number six. But tonight, there's a lot of things that I will give you that are scriptural, biblical. There are some things that are historical that kind of help us understand not only the book of Romans, but also the city of Rome itself. Uh, we always have to, as we study the Bible, uh, we can dig and we can understand the setting, the surrounding behind where we are in the Word of God. And so hopefully you understand that tonight. But as we think about the book of Romans, uh, this is a, what we would call a book in our Bible. I hope you understand tonight that many of these that we call books were really letters. They were letters that were written to a particular church. So tonight we're going to study, begin this introduction to Romans, and this letter or this book that we call the book of Romans, it answers that age-old question, and here's the question that Job had in Job chapter 9 and verse number 2. Look, look at the question, how should men be just with God, or how can a man or a woman or a person be just in the eyes of God? That's a great question. That's what the book of Romans really answers. No one can be just who is not adjusted or adjusted with his maker. Paul wants, as he writes here, he wants the sinner to know that his or her perilous state that they're in, because the Bible says in the book of Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So as Paul writes, he's helping us to understand in our present sinful condition, it's a perilous state that the standing of a sinner is on the precipice of eternity. But also, if we were to die in our sins, he talks about the judgment of God, that at any 
second, God could require our soul. In other words, the Bible says today is the day of our salvation, but also that we will stand before God, the judgment of God in our lives. So here's what Paul is writing. God gives this to Paul that those of us that God could require our soul, that this should make us, as we study this book, it should make people run to the cross, make us to run down the pathway of repentance. I was talking to one of our our members before the service tonight, we were talking about the difference between remorse and repentance. See, remorse means you feel bad about something, but you don't feel bad enough to make a change in your life. Repentance is a change. It's a turnabout. It's a turning away from our sin and turning toward God. And so as Paul writes here, He's trying to help us understand that what we need to do is to run to the cross, to go down this pathway of repentance, to turn away from our sins, and to run up to the Lord Jesus Christ, to run to him trusting Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. What a wonderful book the book of Romans is. Now I want to break down this this book tonight by way of introduction. So write a few things down tonight. Notice, first of all, the preface of the book of Romans. Let's talk about this sixth book that we have in the New Testament of our Bible. This book of Romans is a book that contains the most systematic presentation of the gospel of grace through faith. Let me give you an illustration here, and you've got some of this in your notes. And it says here, There are some things that the book of Romans covers in detail. So I'm going to give you some bullet points here. The first one is that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, the Bible covers man's sinful condition and our need for salvation. So that's how the book begins. It talks about our condition. Now you can go back in the Old Testament to the book of Genesis. And early on in the Bible... It tells us of our condition, that we're sinners. We all know, we call it the fall of man. And it tells us that we have need of a Savior, the need for salvation. If you look in the book of Genesis, it talks about the first mention there of of the bruising of the head and bruising of the heel. It talks about the fact that, look, it was no surprise to God that we would need a Savior. That's how the book of Romans begins with man's sinful condition and our need for salvation. Then the Bible gives us in the book of Romans chapter 3, part of chapter 3 on into chapter number 5, a clear explanation of justification before God. See, when you think about this, the only way for us to be saved, to be justified, to have a right standing with God is what Jesus has done for us. And the book of Romans gets into that. The third thing that we see, which is also in chapter number three, is Christ's death on the cross was necessary for salvation. Uh, We were talking a while back, and maybe on Wednesday night, we were talking about revelation. And we were talking about ways that God has revealed himself to us. And one of those ways is through general revelation that he has revealed himself to us through 
that which he has created, which would be uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the clouds, as you came in tonight, it was raining. Those are all ways that man can look at it, man can say something or someone greater than us has created those or made those things. The Bible tells us that day unto day uttereth his speech, that listen, everywhere we look we can see the handiwork of God. And certainly that might help us to say, well, there is a God out there, but that doesn't help us to understand that we are a sinner, that we have need of a Savior. So God has given us specific or special revelation where through that revelation, the Word of God, through the Son of God, that we can understand that we need to be justified, we need to be saved, and the book of Romans helps us to understand Christ's death on the cross. Look, if a person could look at the clouds and realize that they're a sinner and that they need to be saved, then Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. But see, Jesus did have to die on the cross. He did have to give his life so that we can have eternal life. And I, I shared the verse this morning out of Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, we need God's word. Uh, if you think about this, if you're out driving on the streets of Pembroke Pines or Miramar or wherever it is on your way to work tomorrow, if you're like me as we're driving along the street, there's these little square signs on poles that say speed limit and then it gives you a number. Now, I know some of you ignore those signs, but they're there because they help us to understand what the law is. But as we're driving along, look, a police officer pulls you over and you say, why did you pull me over? Well, you were doing 80 in a 45. Well, I didn't know it was 45. How could I know that it's 45? Well, there was a couple signs that you just drove past. Well, see, God has given us his word. God has given us his law. And listen, the law cannot save. The law is a schoolmaster to bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. My salvation is in the person of Christ. My Look, the, the church cannot save me. The law cannot save me. Jesus saves us. And the book of Romans helps us to understand this. Notice another thing we see in chapter 5 through chapter 8 is we see an explanation of the process known as sanctification. Now, sanctification is important because once justification has taken place, in other words, you got saved by the grace of God, then you begin this growth process. Remember, I told you this morning in the message that in Romans chapter number six, we would love the fact if that it was all instantaneous, but there is a growth process, and the Bible calls that sanctification, that we are being saved from the presence of sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect, that we are, we are complete the moment we get saved. Look, that has taken place in our hearts, but understand that God wants us to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Romans will look at that, will help us with sanctification. Notice another thing we see in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 is we see a full exposition on God's chosen people. This would be the nation of Israel, and we'll look at their past and we will look at their destiny. 
it's a wonderful couple chapters that he puts right in the heart of the book of Romans that helps us understand. Now you say, well, look, I'm not a Jew. I don't understand. Why would this book be of importance, Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, to me, who is not a Jew? And the whole idea is, is that there is so much in the Bible that helps us to understand that God's dealings with the Jews and, and how that is going to affect this world, it already has and it will in the future. We need to get a hold of that. In other words, all scripture is got, given by inspiration of God and it is profitable. So God's given us those couple chapters dealing with God's chosen people and we need to understand those. In Romans chapter number 12, there's a neat little section there in the first eight verses. And that addresses what we call the spiritual gifts. Now we see that in, in, here in Romans chapter number 12. We also see it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 where it's the pneumatikos. Now again, we want to understand the word of God. There were temporary sign gifts that were given by the Lord to his apostles that when the apostles passed off the scene, those special gifts that were given to them, they ceased to exist. But God, by his Holy Spirit, has given to every believer these pneumatikos, these spiritual gifts. Listen, why would God give us those gifts? So that we can use them to the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. We've talked about those. Maybe when we get to that section, I will maybe talk a little bit more about that. And maybe some of you might want to think about or to identify what, are, what is my spiritual gift? And you might be sitting here tonight going, I didn't know I had one. But can I tell you that every believer has been gifted by God's Holy Spirit. And what, what you should say to yourself is, what is that gift that God has given to me and how can I use it? Well, when we get to Romans chapter number 12, we're going to cover that. We're going to talk about those spiritual gifts. And then we look at this last section, which is from chapter 12 at the beginning of chapter 12, all the way through into chapter 15, deals with God giving instructions to believers on our relationships, not only to ourselves, but to the church and to society or government, and then to other believers. See, we are by nature, this way God's made us, God has made us relationally. We are, we are prone to live according to our relationships. And as believers, we have relationships with one another. We have relationships within the church. We have relationships in society. Listen, we need to understand what those relationships are, and that's what the end of the book of Romans really deals with. Now, as we think about the preface of the book, the book of Romans is really considered to be the most doctrinal book of the Bible. Now there's doctrine throughout the Word of God, but this particular book is considered to be the most doctrinal book of the entire Bible. Its use, its use is good for, listen, not only young, but even mature Christians because it provides the essentials for the Christian faith. In other words, you can find all the major doctrines of the Word of God in the book of Romans. It's a great place to go to get something to help you to grow. It's got very, a lot of things that are very meaty when it comes to the Word of God. Now, historically, it is also the most influential book in the Bible. Listen to some of these people 
whose lives have been touched and impacted and it's influenced them. You might be familiar with some of these. Maybe some might be new to you. For instance, Augustine. Years ago, Augustine, when he was reading the book of Romans, was converted or saved by reading what the book of Romans had to say. Martin Luther. Martin Luther was reading the book of Romans, and what God dealt with him about from the book of Romans actually started in his heart, and it caused him to start what we know as the Protestant Reformation. came from Luther reading the book of Romans. Uh, you also find that, uh, uh, not only that, but you find John Wesley received assurance of his salvation as he was reading from the book of Romans. Look what John Calvin, I think I put this quote in your outline. Calvin said this, when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole scripture. In other words, if you can get a hold of what God is talking about in the book of Romans, it's going to open up your mind and open up your heart and your understanding to the entire Bible. That's why this book is so very important. So the preface of the book is so very important. But notice, secondly, the prevalence of the book. Now, let's talk about why this book is so prevalent, okay? The time of the writing, as Paul writes here, Rome was considered the seat, the place, of the mighty Roman Empire. I mean, it was one of the great empires of the world historically. There were more than one million people in Rome during the New Testament days. Now, I'm giving you this as a background because I want you to get a hold of not only the place, but the people, because it wasn't, he was writing to believers, but they were living among a lot of other people, kind of like what we live in today. So there was about a million people in Rome. Rome is, was known, and still is kind of known, as the city on how many hills? Seven hills. And you can study the scriptures. There's more that you can find. There's some notable items of interest in Rome during Paul's day was a place called the Forum. There was also something known as the Colosseum. And here's the interesting thing. We'll look at this a little bit more tonight. The interwoven streets of Rome that led in all directions. Now again, you have to remember the world back in that day wasn't as developed as the road is today. And so streets were a big thing. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that was a very notable thing. The city, listen to this, featured more, more than 400 temples that were dedicated to pagan gods. 400, more than 400. So you can see the influence of Rome wasn't a good influence in the days of Paul, in the days of those that were a part of the church in Rome. It was said of this day, and this is not my words, this is the words of those in that day, the rich man went to Rome to enjoy himself, the poor man went to Rome to beg, the new citizen went to Rome to cast his vote, and the dispossessed citizen would go there to reclaim his rights. Now remember what Paul did. Paul requested to go to Rome. And so oftentimes, these are the reasons people would go to a place like this. Now, remember the 400 temples that were there on top of that. You also see that Rome was filled 
with many other things. For instance, there was a lot of, from the area known as Asia, there was a lot of rhetoric, there was a lot of people that would go there to share a variety of ideas of the day. For instance, things like Confucianism. Uh, they would go there to share their thoughts. There was Greek philosophy in Rome in Paul's day. There was Chaldean astrology uh, that was there during the day. The Egyptian influence was with magic. So you have people uh, fortune-telling. You have uh, those that were magicians of the day. And on top of that, there was a corrupt order of priests who were the priests of Isis. Now, I'm not talking about the Isis we hear about on the news today. I'm talking about a goddess of the day, a pagan goddess, and all of these uh, philosophies and, and rhetoric and astrology and magic, all these things were there in the city of Rome with these corrupt priests. Why? They were all trying to do the same thing. They were trying to stake their claim in the city known as Rome. I mean, you find it even today where there's a bustling area, everybody wants to move in because everybody wants a piece of the action. And this is the city that Paul is writing to, the church that Paul is writing to. The writer of, of Paul's day, listen to what he said about Rome. He says it was as if it was at the epic of her most gorgeous gluttonies and her most gilded rottenness. In other words, he, his description basically was saying that Rome was a city that was a cesspool of iniquity. It was a filthy sewer of a place to be. And it was to this city that Paul was writing and he was encouraging believers, the church, to understand the doctrine of the gospel. And watch this, not only to understand the doctrine, which we're going to look at in the days ahead, not only to understand their beliefs according to the Word of God, but also its application in our daily lives. See, God's Word, what good is doctrine if we don't understand it, believe it, but live it out every day of our lives? See, it's one thing to say you're a Christian. It's another thing to live like a Christian. Now, remember, many times we look at the world we're living in today and we think, we think to ourselves how hard it is to be a Christian. We always think that we have it worse than other people had it. But I hope you're starting to get a little bit of the flavor of what it was like in Rome in the day that Paul wrote this letter to a church similar to ours, to believers that were in Rome who were trying in their day, like we're trying today, to live for Christ. And this is what we see. Now, let me give you a next thing here, the particulars of the book. And what I've done in this section, it's just a little quick thing we'll go through, is I want to show you some of the particulars or Paul's timeline. This, these are just approximate. Don't, don't go to see on some of these dates, but I do believe they're, they're somewhat accurate. Might be a, a year or so off. But just to give you an idea, notice here, beginning in 33 AD, this is when Paul was gloriously saved by the grace of God. He was on the road to Damascus, remember, and he met the Lord. And his name was Saul of Tarsus. 
and he became the Apostle Paul. So in 33, Paul was saved. Notice in 47 and 48, notice how many years there, about 14 years. Remember that change, listen, salvation takes place at that moment. But remember this matter of sanctification. See, Paul understood the Old Testament probably better than most people of his day. Paul was a man that was well-versed in the Bible. But remember, everything was Paul was living for, his bent was away from God. It was all about what he could do and how he could live by the law. But see, what God began to do was God began to work on Paul from the inside out. He does the same thing in our lives today. God is changing us. We're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. What I, what I preached about this morning is what happened in Paul's life. There was an exchange in Paul's life. There was a putting off and there was a putting on. Just like for us, it happened in Paul's life. So notice we see that as God began to work in 47, 48, Paul took what we call the first missionary journey. Now remember, what, what church was Paul a part of when he left to go on that first journey? Anybody remember? He was in Antioch, Acts chapter 13. Remember, he was there just like you are tonight. He was in the church in Antioch. Jerusalem was the other uh, hub of Christianity of the day. But God was moving in the church in Antioch. And the Lord said, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. So that's what God still does today. God calls an individual out of a church. They're faithfully serving God. God doesn't use lazy people. And so God calls Paul to do a great work for him, and we call this Paul's first missionary journey. Now, in your, maybe you have a Bible tonight that in the back of it, it has some maps. And maybe some of those maps you can look at, and maybe you have one map that says Paul's first missionary journey. Maybe you have another one that says his second. Maybe another one says his third. And you can look at all the places that Paul traveled with Barnabas. It's an amazing thing because back in the day, they didn't have the modes of transportation like we do now. A lot of what they did, if it wasn't on ship, it was on foot. But he, he extensively traveled. Now, Paul, listen, Paul wasn't traveling to see the world. Paul was traveling so that he could take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that had never heard the gospel before. To tell them about the love of God, that Jesus died so that they can have eternal life. Guess what we do when we leave this church on Tuesdays and Saturdays? We do the same thing. And guess what we do when we support missionaries from our church? We're doing the same thing. We're sending the gospel around the world. So Paul leaves on his first missionary journey. Notice just a short time after that, Paul stands before what is known as the Jerusalem Council. Notice as you think about this, this is a time, if you want to jot it down, I don't remember if I gave this to you, this would be about the time that the book of Galatians was written. Now, if you, if you read the book of Galatians, Paul's dealing with some error that was taking place. In other words, God was dealing with something. You see, they were, they were talking about some things that were not exactly accurate according to the Word of God, and Paul was trying to help those in the churches in Galatia to understand what was right by God and what was wrong. And so we find that this takes place as Paul stands before the Jerusalem council. Then notice not too long after that, Paul then takes his second missionary journey. Paul goes out again. 
with the gospel. He goes to some places that he had been, and then he goes to some new places. And then in 51 AD, Paul is able to write what we call the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And of course, those are, those are two tremendous books. Both of them cover different things in the Word of God, but we see that's when that takes place. Then in 54 AD, that's when Nero becomes the Roman emperor. That's very important. Because of the reign of Nero, things began to change for Christians in 55-56. Paul writes what we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And as you notice here that Paul is writing, and then notice Paul then takes his third missionary journey, about 56, 58. And that's where, as Paul's traveling on this third missionary journey, that this book we're going to study on Sunday nights, the book of Romans, was written during that time period. Then in 61, 60, 61, Paul is placed under house arrest. Notice where? At Rome. And then in 67, Paul is martyred for the faith. He gives his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ and then notice what happens in 70 AD. What happened? The temple is destroyed. Now there's a lot of things we could talk about that, but for the sake of our, our overview tonight, let's move on. That's some of the particulars. I just want you to understand historically, date-wise, how things took place in a timeline. Notice, next thing, write it down. The penning of the book. We're talking here about the writing of the book, the penning of the book. Now, the Bible tells us, and I didn't give you these, if you want to write the references down, I already uh, quoted 2 Timothy 3.16. We talked about this on Wednesday night. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for what? For doctrine. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about reproof in the book of, Acts, uh, book of Romans. We're going to talk about correction. We're going to talk about instruction in righteousness. You could take that verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, it totally fits in with the book of Romans. Everything about that verse fits into the book of Romans. Now, you also understand that as you study the book of Romans, that it is one book in our Bible. The Bible contains 66 books. Now, when we think of the Bible, the words that Paul wrote, they were not Paul's words. Because the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.21, for the prophecy came, not in old time, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So you have to keep that in mind. When you're reading and you're studying the book of Romans, and you see, listen to this, the personalities of the writers, yes, they did come into play because God chose to use human instruments. That's why when you read, here's what Paul says. My heart's desire is that all Israel would be what? Saved. Now, do you know, is all Israel going to be saved? No. What part of Israel will be saved? Those that put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with the fact, look, you know, for years, and by the way, I still... I always had a burden for my home area, for my hometown. Why? Because that's where I grew up. That's where my family lived. That's where everybody that I knew. And I had, my heart's desire was that my area would be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, God allowed me to be in that area for many years 
but it was not God's will for me to stay in that area. But listen, that doesn't change the fact that I would love for everybody that I know, I would love for all my family, all my relatives, all my friends to be saved. But the truth is, the only ones that will be saved are the ones that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there are people today who believe that just because they're a Jew that they're going to go to heaven someday. But that's not the Bible. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now listen, God, God's not willing that any would perish. God wants every Jew, God wants every Gentile to go to heaven someday. But see, the only way you can get to heaven, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Would you agree with that tonight? That's the word of God. Now listen, what do we need to do? We need to reach the Jew. We need to reach the Gentile while there is still time, while the door is still open, is what the Bible tells us. So when we look at this, we need to understand the penning of the book. Write it down. It is written by the Apostle Paul. Look in your Bible, and if you have it there written in, in Romans chapter 1, look at verse number 1. It starts out this way. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So Paul starts here. He, look at verse number 7. He writes, to all that be in Rome, he says, believed of, uh, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no doubt that God used Paul to write the book that we know as the book of Romans. Notice also that it was written to the church at Rome that we just read there, to those that most likely uh, helped to establish this church were new believers that were returning from Jerusalem from a big event that we see in Acts chapter number 2 called the day of what? The day of Pentecost. See, there was, there was a huge group of people that got gloriously saved as Peter stood and preached on the day of Pentecost. 16 different nationalities of people heard the gospel in their own language. And when those people dispersed from that event, from that miraculous outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, those people went home. And so we find that many believe that it was those new believers that returned from Jerusalem following the day of Pentecost. So it was written by Paul, written to the church at Rome. Remember, a church is not a building, it's the people of God. And then notice, thirdly, it was written from Corinth. Now, we said this earlier, about 56, 58 AD, somewhere in that time frame, Paul was in Corinth, and Paul was on his third missionary journey. He wrote this, this letter to those saints in Rome. Now, look at the next thing in your notes there, the purpose of the book. Okay, let's talk about this. There are four purposes that God allowed Paul to write this book, okay? These are important. I want you to keep a mind of these. That's why I want you to keep this outline. Number one, Paul wrote this. God allowed him to write this, first of all, to prepare the believers for his visit. You know, it's a wonderful thing that Paul was writing them saying, hey, look, my heart is I want to come to you. And Paul says, I want you to prepare for that. Because when I come to you, look, you have to know that Paul wanted 
to help them. Look, that's my heart. When I come here to this church on Sunday or Wednesday, it, look, I want to help you. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to help you to grow in your relationship. And Paul says, look, I'm writing, first of all, to prepare you for the time that I'll be with you. Secondly, he writes to them to instruct and establish the believers in the Christian faith. So what is he going to do? Remember, all scriptures give by inspiration to God. One of those was for instruction in righteousness. He's going to instruct them. Look, the world wants to instruct us in the ways of the world. Paul says, look, you are now in Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to instruct you on the ways of God. I want to help you to get established as a Christian. Because look, what this world needs, and that's what we've been looking at on Wednesday nights, is this world needs Christians who know what they believe, who know what the Bible teaches, and to be living that out. Paul says, I want to come and help you. Third reason that he wrote the book was to answer any slander against him. You say, Paul? People had a problem with Paul? Remember, if you're going to live for God, you're going to be a mouthpiece for God, people are going to oppose you. Look in your Bible. Look at chapter 3 and verse number 8 right here in the book of Romans. Look at verse 8. He says, and not rather, he says, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, he says, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. In other words, Paul's saying, look, there's some people, yes, they've been saying some things about us. They've been slandering us. But can I tell you that what they've been saying is not true? Look, you have to understand, if you're going to live for God, listen to me now, you are going to have to understand what is called apologetics. You have to be able to defend what you believe. See, a lot of times you run into people out in society who are of a different faith or a different religion. And you have to, as the verse Brother Chris had us uh, memorize or say this morning, we have to be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. Well, you have to know the Bible. You have to know what you believe in order to be able to, and that's what the book of Romans helps us. It helps us to get deeper in the word of God to know what we believe. And Paul says, look, I want to help you because he says, in my life, because I've lived for God and I've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are people that are trying to slander me, but he says, look, I'm going to press on for God. You know, I'm going to continue to do, but he says, I want to help you as a church to understand what they're saying about me is not true. All right. And look at the fourth purpose. And this is a good one is to exhort Jewish and Gentile believers to live in harmony. Did you hear what I said? Jewish and Gentile, what? Believers. Because watch this, the Bible in this present day that we're living in, God would have all to be saved. It's always been God's heart that all would put their faith in Christ. But see what the church today and in Paul's day is comprised of is Jewish and Gentile believers. Well, believe it or not, some of these early churches, here's what you found is because of the prejudice. Remember we talked about Peter maybe a couple weeks ago and how Peter was spending time with Gentiles that had believed on the Lord. And when the Jews showed up, what did Peter do? He separated himself from those Gentiles because he was afraid of what the Jews would say about him. 
And Paul, Paul, when Paul would go into some of these early congregations, here's what would happen. Paul would, Paul would get up with the Word of God, and he'd look out, and, and right down the middle, all the Jews were sitting on this side, and all the Gentiles were sitting on this side. It was segregation in the early church. They, they, they didn't, you, you wouldn't see a Jew sitting among the Gentiles or a Gentile sitting over here among the Jews. And Paul says, look, you've got to learn that, that it breaks God's heart when believers in Christ cannot live in harmony. And so when we get into this study of the book of, of Romans, listen, we need to understand that all people, no matter what our background, our race, that we're all saved the same way. We all come to God by faith. It's the grace of God that we are both Jew and Gentile, that we are one in Christ. And so there's the purpose to the book of Romans. And listen, we're going to cover all of that in the days ahead. Now, let me give you the proposition of the book of Romans. It's very simple, all right? I want you to look in your Bible there in Romans chapter 1, two verses. And here's the overall theme of the book of Romans. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto what? Salvation. Now look at these next couple words. To who? To everyone that believeth. And here it is. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. How? From what to what? From faith to faith as it is written. Here it is. Say it, say it with me, the just, shall, the just shall live by faith. Now, when you look at those two verses, yes, that is the overall theme of the book of Romans, but in reality, can I tell you, listen, with all honesty, that's the theme of the entire Bible, that the just shall live by faith. And so that is the proposition of the book of Romans. Notice next, the path of the, of the book, okay? Let's talk about the path. Now, remember that I talked a minute ago about how, how that you had the intricate interwoven system of streets in Rome, okay? Now, you've heard probably heard this saying before, but not only did all roads lead to Rome, but all roads led from Rome as well. And that's very important because one could reach the world from Rome. If you look at a map, maybe one in your Bible might help you better than a modern-day map, you have to understand that the world, even though it was the same sphere, the same ball that we call the earth, that the, the known world was much smaller in the days of Paul. Even America hadn't even been discovered yet, right? So look, Paul was able to to basically cover the known world of his day. And that's why it was important that, that this, this matter of Rome, because all roads led to Rome, but all roads led from Rome. You could reach the entire world of his day. Now, it's not that way today, but back in Paul's day, and that's why Paul consistently tried to go to the city of Rome. Now, the Bible tells us many times Paul tried to go there, but he was hindered. God wouldn't let Paul go there, but nonetheless, that was his desire to go there. So the letter that we call the book of Romans, it was interesting because according to history and the word of God, this letter, the book of Romans, was actually carried by a sister in Christ by the name of Phoebe. 
And this is an interesting thing is that Phoebe was the one that carried the letter of the book of Romans to the church at Rome. One skeptic made this. Now, a skeptic said this. Listen to this statement. When Phoebe sailed away from Corinth, remember Paul was writing from Corinth. They didn't have email, right? They didn't even have snail mail back then. And so somehow this letter, Paul writes it, and it's got to get from Corinth to Rome. Well, how did that happen? Phoebe, a sister in Christ, she's entrusted with the very word of God. Do you get that? I mean, it's like, it's like somebody taking your Bible and getting on a plane and carrying it to some foreign country. So what does she do? She takes the word of God and she carries it beneath the folds of her robe. And he says that beneath the folds of her robe that Phoebe carried the whole future of Christian theology. Can you imagine the importance of this document that we call the book of Romans? And this this sister in Christ was trusted to carry that. The book of Romans, look, we look at the first four books in our Bible. We call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? But have you ever noticed in your Bible, and I think it is true to say, it's the gospel according to Matthew. The gospel according to Mark. The gospel according to Luke. The gospel according to John. There's only one gospel. And when you look at the book of Romans, guess what many consider it? The gospel according to Paul. See, Paul, there is so much about the gospel of Jesus Christ in this book that we know as Romans. And when we look at that, the church at Rome, this body of believers, it was a strong church back in the days that Paul wrote. Look at chapter 1 in verse number 8. Look at the words here. Paul writes, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Notice the statement that your faith. He says, this is why I'm so thankful for you, because your faith in Christ is spoken of throughout what? The whole world. That means everywhere he went, that people were talking about the faith of these believers that were in this church in Rome. Boy, listen, can I I say, may that be said of Bible Baptist Church in Pembroke Pines, that people talk about the faith of the people that make up this body of believers known as Bible Baptist Church. See, the church at Rome, it was a strong church. Now, what's interesting about it is, and I mentioned this earlier a little bit, Paul didn't found this church. Remember, it was those people, many believe, that left Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. But you know what you don't find is? You don't find one jealous bone in Paul's body because he didn't found this church. Matter of fact, Paul was excited about this church, about what God was doing through this church. See, the church at Rome could have possibly been started by those that left Jerusalem. Look at, here's a verse for you in your notes, Acts 2 2 and verse number 10. The Bible mentions a couple places here, Pergia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in all parts of Libya about Cyrene. And notice in that group, strangers of where? Rome. See, they were listed there. So we see the path of the book, how it went from Corinth, where Paul wrote it on his third missionary journey, how it was carried by Phoebe 
and how it was taken to those believers, a strong body of believers whose faith was spoken of throughout the whole world of that day. Now let me give you last tonight the preliminary of the book. This is something that maybe will help you in the days ahead. It's an overview of the book. I'm gonna go through it kind of quickly. The book of Romans is broke down in three categories, okay? I've kind of put them in your notes there as like headers. And so on that first one, I want you to write the word doctrinal, okay? When you think about the book, the way it's put together, okay? When, we, when you write the word doctrinal, you don't have a blank there, but I think you can handle this. Right next to that word, in parentheses, write this word. Write the word positional, okay? Because, listen, you do understand that doctrine is our position. If somebody asked me, so what are you? I would say to them, I'm a Baptist. And you know what that word does? It describes my position. What doctrines I believe. There was a young lady here this morning, and we talked to her after church. Brother David and I did. A very lovely young lady. She may be back. But I, I asked her about uh, some of her background and what she believes. And she actually comes from a church of a little bit of a different background. But her, she said to her dad, she said, uh, I've been looking around. I've been to churches. She was very disgusted. Not, not an older young lady. She was very young. But she said, I've been very disgusted. I go to churches, and she, many of you have said the same thing. She said, I go into those churches. She says, but I hear about five minutes of what the Bible says, and then the whole rest of the service, I don't hear anything. She said, it's all a bunch of nothing. And, and she says, but I came this morning, and she said, I heard all kinds of stuff from the Bible. And, and I, I began to tell her how our church will be celebrating 70 years and how we truly have always been a Bible-believing church. And I said, I believe that's why our church, why God has blessed it over all these years. And, and, and so I began to tell her, look, that's what God would have for us is to know our doctrine, what we believe. That's our position. Now, when it comes to the book of Romans, write this down. This is how it, this first section, the doctrinal section, this is how it breaks down. The first subsection underneath of that would be this, this thought, the world is guilty. The world is guilty. Now, when you say the world, you're talking about everybody, right? So this is how the book of, Rome, book of Romans begins, all right? Because this is describing how we are lost. So chapter 1, here's, here's the premise behind chapter 1. Write it down. The heathen is guilty. The heathen is guilty. Chapter number 2 highlights the hypocrite is guilty. Now, we'll discover that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. A hypocrite is a stage actor. There's a lot of people today. You know, that's why some people won't come to church, because of hypocrites. May that not be said of us. Listen, you cannot be one way on Sunday and be something totally different Monday through Saturday. Because people will say that person is a hypocrite because the way they live every day is different than how they are on Sunday. And guess what God says in Romans chapter number 2? The hypocrite is just as guilty as the heathen. Look in chapter number three. We're going to look at this one. All humanity is guilty. You ever heard that verse? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Where's that? Romans chapter number three. So when you look at that, the heathen's guilty, the hypocrite's guilty, the all humanity is guilty. Guess what? We're lost. Now, aren't you glad that the book of Romans doesn't end in chapter three, that we're lost? But it doesn't end there. So write down the next sub, subheading here, 
is that we are declared innocent. Okay, we're declared innocent. Maybe after that, write this little statement. Because chapters 1, 2, and 3 were lost. But right after the statement, we were declared innocent, write this statement, we are in Christ. We're in Christ. Now here's what you find. Chapter 4 and 5 deal with this section about we are declared innocent. Chapter 4 covers justification. See, justification or salvation is available to all. Chapter 5 gives us the benefits of justification. See, God not only saves us, God not only justifies us, but He actually shows us in the book of Romans, now that you have been saved, here's the benefits of being justified. And we're going to talk about that because we have been declared innocent. Now, keep in mind, we can't declare ourselves innocent. See, God is the one that declares us innocent. Now, look at the third subsection there on this matter of doctrinal or our position. Write it down. How we should live. How we should live. And then after that, write this little statement. Christ is in us. See, in chapters 4 and 5, I had you write, we are in Christ. But when you get to chapters 6, 7, and 8, notice now... God tells us in the book of Romans how we should live, and he gives us this thought, now Christ is in us. Chapter 6, here it is, I mentioned it earlier, he covers sanctification. We hit on some of that this morning in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Sanctification, that's that growth process, all right? Chapter number 7, write it down. Here's where we see this, this war going on between the natural, the spiritual, and the carnal man. Now, you have to understand, a natural man is an unsaved person. A saved person can be a spiritual man, or a saved person can be a carnal man. See, that's a problem. Remember that little illustration I gave this morning about the Indian chief with the two dogs that fight? And the one that you feed is the one that wins? Well, that's what he covers in Romans chapter number 7. I gave you some verses this morning that Paul wrote, and some of it got very personal about Paul's own testimony, the things that he should do or the things that he doesn't do. You know, and finally, at the end of chapter 7, here's what he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. You know, Paul's saying, he's saying, look, you think I'm a great Christian? I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. Anybody else relate to that? I mean, listen, in our lives, we have to understand the battle that goes on. How about this? Every day. Every day. And so in chapter 7, he covers this natural, spiritual, carnal man. And then write it down. Chapter 8, he, he covers the victory that is ours. See, God wants us. Do you remember how Romans chapter 8 starts? There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. What a wonderful chapter in the book of Romans. And guess what happens when you get to the end of Romans chapter number 8? You've now reached the end of that first section, which is the doctrinal section, which is our position, and then you get into a new section. Now, I gave you this, but I want you to write this second word down, because after the doctrinal section, you get to the section called the dispensational section. Now, the word dispensation is actually a Bible word. A lot of people don't, they don't understand what dispensation means. It's actually God's dealing with man at different times and different periods. We may cover that maybe on a Wednesday night, something like that. But there, are, there is a dispensational approach to the Word of God. But here in the book of Romans, I want you to write down. Remember after the doctrinal, you wrote what word? 
after doctrinal, you wrote what word? You wrote what? Position, all right? That's our position. Now, I want you to write a word after the word dispensational. I want you to write this word, parenthetical, okay? Parenthetical. If you need help with spelling, P-A-R, it's like the word parent, P-A-R-E-N-T. It is, it is after E-T, you have, you have E-T-I-C-A-L, parenthetical, all right? doesn't matter if you don't get the spelling right. I'm not going to give you a B or a C or a D, all right? Just as long as you know what it is. Here's the key. Look at me. Do you know what a parenthesis is? That's what parenthetical means. So here's what happens is, is when you think of the Bible, here's what happens. In the Old Testament and into the gospel records, what people was God primarily dealing with? The nation of Israel. But remember, Jesus came and the Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. See, the Jews did not believe, by the way, they still don't believe that the Messiah has come. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come according to Jewish tradition. So they're still looking for the Messiah. But remember, Jesus came, and remember, remember what the woman at the well said? She says, come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. And this is the one, is what she was saying. This is the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for. So Jesus did come, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So here's what happens, that Jesus came and he gave his life, he died on the cross, and then he, he went back to be with the Father. Where is Jesus today? He's in heaven. Now watch this. So here's what happened when Jesus died. God's program with the nation of Israel has been suspended. Right now, God is not dealing with the nation of Israel as a whole. Okay, that's why I say it's a parenthetical, it's a dispensation. Now, why did that happen? Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said to Peter and the other disciples, upon this rock, I will build my what? Church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what did Jesus establish while he was on this earth? The church. What is God using today to get the gospel to the world? The church. What are we today? The church. Now listen, God, God loves Israel. God still has a desire for Israel to believe on him but today, in this present day that we live in, now there are people that do not understand Bible doctrine, and they believe that the church is a continuation of the nation of Israel. That is not Bible. See, the church was a separate entity. It was established by Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 28, the Bible says that Jesus loved the church, and he gave himself for it. He shed his own blood. Jesus bought the church. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body because we are the Lord's. So understand tonight, we are a part of the greatest thing on this earth. We are a part of the church of the living God. And as we think about this, listen, what is our responsibility? Jesus gave it before he went to heaven. We call it the Great Commission. And here it is, go ye into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take it to every creature. Preach it to everyone. In other words, that all people might be saved. See, that is the Great Commission. Why are we here? We're not here to take up space. We're not here to hear Pastor Keeley. We're here to hear the truth of the Word of God 
and to get it to a lost and dying world before it is eternally too late. Well, guess what? We find that as Jesus established his church, that this present time that we live in, that's a parenthesis, okay? This is a dispensational period. Does anybody know when this period that we're living in is going to end? At the rapture of Jesus Christ. What is the rapture? It's when the Lord's going to come back in the air, the Bible says. And we, they which are dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So watch. It began when Jesus gave his life. He established the church. Many believe that the church was in existence. We could talk a little bit about that in the days ahead. But the Bible talks about the book of Hebrews, the death of a testator. In other words, a testament is established through the blood that Jesus shed so that the church was established on the death of Jesus Christ. He said, upon this rock, he's talking about himself. So Jesus established the church in this present day that we live in, the church, which is what we're a part of, is what God is using to reach this world. But notice in your notes that this present time that we live in, okay, this dispensational age, that in Romans 9, 10, and 11, write it under there, the, the little header there, write the word Israel. And this is talking about Paul's natural family. Remember, Paul was a Jew. And so Paul begins to deal. Look, Paul knew the nation of Israel. This was his natural family. So what does God cover in this parenthetical, this dispensational portion of the book of Romans? Ch write it down. In Romans chapter 9, he deals with Israel's past relationship with God. Their past. Now, Israel can't change the past. The past is behind them. But notice in chapter number 10, this is an important chapter because it deals with Israel's present relationship. What's going on right now in regards to the nation of Israel. And then in chapter 11, God deals with Israel's prospective relationship. The prospective relationship. In other words, what's going to happen in the days ahead. Now, I'm not going to get into that right now. There is a lot in the Bible about what's going to happen when the Lord comes back and that time known as a time of tribulation and God's program, Daniel's prophecy was for how many weeks? 70 weeks. Anybody know how many of those weeks have already been fulfilled? 69. So that 70th week is when God's going to start again or continue that program that Daniel was able to write about Daniel's 70th week. Are you starting to get an idea how important the book of Romans is? About how much meat there is in the book of Romans and how important it is for our overall understanding of not only the book of Romans, but the entire Bible, all right? And so we look at this, and in Romans chapter 10, this prospective relationship is talking about the future of Paul's natural family. Now look at the third section of the book of Romans. Here it is. Write the word discipleship, okay? We've had the doctrinal section, Romans chapter 1 to chapter 8. We've had the dispensational period, the parenthetical. That's Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Well, there's how many chapters in the book of Romans? 16. Some of you looked at your paper, didn't you? All right. So there's 16 chapters. Now watch this. From chapter 12 to chapter 16. This is the discipleship portion 
remember, what good is doctrine if we can't live it out in our everyday life? So that's where discipleship comes in. Remember, Jesus said, go into all the world. He says, and, and we are to go win, baptize, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded. So that means that we are to be making disciples. We are supposed to have fruit. The church is supposed to be producing as God has left us here. That's why I mentioned this morning, there should be growth in the life of a Christian. Why? Because God has saved us. We are planted in Christ. We are together with him and there should be a growth that's taking place. A church that is not growing has become stagnant. And we ought to be growing. Now, I will tell you, I mentioned to somebody earlier today, you have to understand that growth is not always numerical. you, You can't always count and say there's growth or there's not growth. Because many times, growth can be measured also by the fact that we're getting deeper in our understanding of the Word of God, that we're being more obedient to what God has given to us. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's exciting when you start to see God growing people. I'll give you an example of this, all right? This morning, I'm sitting up here on the platform, and I'm, you know, again, I'm a little bit different than you. God's given me, as the Bible says, oversight. So I'm sitting up here on the platform, and, and I'm just kind of watching. A lot of times people don't realize, don't feel like you're under scrutiny, but pastors notice things. And I notice when some of you are sleeping. I notice when some of you are texting. I notice when some of you are checking your electric blankets. I know all these things, okay? And so I'm sitting up here and I'm watching, you know, and and so here's what happens. A young lady that I mentioned a little while ago, she walks in that back door where all service is already going on. She walks in, she sits right down where Brother Chris is sitting. And she sits there. She's not even sitting there for for not even a minute. And one of our ushers walks over to her, talks to her, walks in the sound room, grabs a visitor packet, walks straight over to the young lady, explains it to her, hands it to her, and then goes back to his post. That young man was R.J. Fondon. R.J. hasn't been saved that long. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. And then when I told him that I saw all that, he's like, mm-hmm, pastor's watching me. <laughs> but here's what I told him, Roman. I said, a year ago, you wouldn't even have been in church because you weren't even saved. And now, not only are you in church, but you actually care about people and you want them to be in the house of God, to hear the word of God so much so that you forgot about yourself and you took the time to go. You know what that saying is? Is that his doctrine is being lived out practically in his life. So when we look at this last section, I want to write it down here. Or you can write it down with me. Notice on, on the chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul's natural family, you wrote the word Israel. But when you get to the last section, I want you after the word discipleship to write the word practical, if you haven't done that yet practical because look that's the kind of person I am I'm just a practical person I like to I like to do things with my hands I like to I'm just a I'm I'm not the smartest tack in the drawer but I I like to do things I like things to be practical and I love the last part of the book of Romans write this down next to where it says Paul's spiritual family which is different than his natural family write the word church because when Paul got saved guess what he became he became a child of God 
He became a part of the, the church of the living God, just like you and I did. And so when you get to Romans chapters 12 through 16, write this down. When, when you look at discipleship, the practical aspect, we get on the other side of doctrine. Chapter 12 deals with our surrender to God. This deals with our duties as Christians to God. Chapter 13 deals with submission to authority. Boy, there's a big one. We're living in a day right now. It's the Me Too movement right now. Listen, can I say it should be the God movement is what it should be instead of me. And so what Romans chapter 13 covers is our submission to authority. There's, there's no powers that be but of God. God is the one that sets up and God is the one that removes. So Romans chapter 13 is a wonderful section on submission to authority. Romans chapter 14 deals with standards and safeguards. Boy, those are bad words. Standards. There you go, pastor. You're going to impose a bunch of... No, I'm, we're just going to read the Bible verse by verse. I'm just going to give you what God says. And you get mad all you want. But if you get mad, don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. But God gives us standards that we are to live our lives by. Standards, and notice the other word, safeguards. Sounds to me like they're good for us. All right? Romans chapter 15 deals with service. What's, what's that dealing with? Our hearts. How's your heart towards God? Are you serving God? God saved you. He didn't save you to sit sour and soak. He saved you to serve. God says, look, find a place where you can serve me. I love it when I see, look, across our church, young and old alike, I, I, all kinds of you have come to me, hey, pastor, is there something I can do? I want to find a place to serve God. Hey, listen, you ought to be. You ought to serve God until God calls you home. And there's ways you can do that. But chapter 15 is a great section on service. And then look at chapter 16. I love this because just like a letter, what do you do at the end of a letter? You write a salutation. So notice that we see Paul's farewell there. Write the word salutation. Paul signs off. And I love chapter 16 because he begins to write and mention all these people by name. He talks about how precious and how dear. Some of them he doesn't mention by name. But again, how important they were to him. And that's what the book of Romans covers. Now, that's, that's a little bit of an outline there. Let me just summarize this. I've kept you a little longer than I wanted to tonight. But listen, here we started with this thought. Can a man or a woman be just with God? Okay, that's what, that's what we're going to look at in the book of Romans. There is no hope for us through the things that we do for God. Did you hear that? There's no hope in the things that we do for God. But there is hope through what God did for us. Look in your Bible in Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 24. Look what it says. Being justified. What's that next word? Romans 3, 24. Being justified what? Come on, say it. Freely. By his what? Grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What a great verse. You see, when you look at that verse, it is not our works. It's God's grace that brings salvation to those that have faith in Christ. It is God. It is God. It is God that justifies sinners. We cannot justify ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. And that's why this book is so important. As we study this book, we're going to learn from the Word of God how that you and I can have the right standing before God. How many of you want to have the right standing before God? This book, 
I'm going to tell you something. I'm so excited about it. I can't wait. You say, Pastor, I know that because you kept us long tonight. I'm sorry. I apologize. But listen, I think this will help us to get that foundation so that we can build upon that. All right? And we're going to start with that doctrinal section. Then we're going to talk about God and Israel. And then we will conclude with, okay, we've learned our doctrine as a church. What do we do with it? And listen, that ought to help every one of us so that we need to know what we're going to do before the Lord comes back, all right? Well, let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you again. Thank you for people that are hungry for the Word of God, that have a desire to know what the Word of God says. I pray that you'd bless this series. Lord, not because it's something that I've studied or I'm teaching, but it's the Word of God. This is, this is one of the most important, and I realize that we, we understand the plenary inspiration and the book of Romans is not any more uh, inspired than other books in the Bible but this is a book that is so important for the overall understanding of the entire word of God and I pray that you'd bless and use it Lord again give us a great week Lord help us to know the word of God and to share it with others in Jesus name we pray amen Lord